0: This episode of policing matters is brought to you by L three Harris carry confidence with you L three Harris provides ultra reliable portables and mobiles that are designed by and for those on the front lines. Learn more at L three Harris.com. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to policing matters on police one.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, by mid-January, we've already had between 8 and 21 mass shootings in the United States, depending on the data source, including four in California um, just in January. Uh, One of them, uh, Half Moon Bay, is just about 15, 20 minutes from my house. So clearly, I was uh, on the alert and noticed the uptick in some of the uh, commonalities of them. I've got a great guest today, Catherine Schweit, who is the, uh, she's back. She's uh, back since her book. Uh, she is a expert on the issue of firearms and mass shootings. Catherine Schweit is a former FBI executive. Uh, she has a juris doctorate. She's an educated educator, and also the author of the book "Stop the Killing: How to End the Mass Shooting Crisis." Uh, it came out in twenty one. She updated it in twenty two. Hey, welcome back to Policing Matters, Dr. Catherine White.
1: Oh, thank you. It's very kind of you to have me on. I'm I'm a big fan of the show, and everybody should be tracking. Uh, I think if you want to understand. Uh, the policing business—you want to understand the subjects—they uh, should be following your podcast. So I know I do.
0: Oh, thanks for that. And likewise, I've been following you and the multitude of your appearances. You must uh, be a first-class
1: uh, frequent flyer on all airlines. <laughs> I, I feel like it. I feel yeah. like I am now. It's and, and you know, it's really a. It's. A, it kind of speaks to the fact that I feel like I can't really do enough. Uh, to talk to companies and uh, in civilians and and i just keep trying to get out there i i know that you know my counterparts at the fbi are trying to help out law enforcement law enforcement's trying to help out civilians i feel like the best i can do is is stay in the fight so to speak
0: yeah and you're doing that and you know i i, I laud your your efforts in uh, demystifying the the shooting conundrum and sometimes you know the pol- polarizing issues, uh, the dichotomies out there, and why we have the problem that we have. And you've done so well in explaining that in your book. And oh, thank you. Yeah, and, and in your appearances that I've seen you on on shows, you've been on the road, you've been on all these shows, and now here we are approaching the fifth year anniversary of the Parkland shooting. What's changed? What have you seen as, as anything significant in the last couple of years?
1: I think, uh, you know, especially f- from a kind of an inside baseball standpoint, I think one of the things that's really changed for me is the, um, I, I, you know, started after Sandy Hook really intensely doing nothing but this, five years in the FBI, five years out of the FBI. What has changed for me? is the avenues, the view of the avenues to get us out of this hole. I think there are more avenues to get us out of this hole, and I think we just need to take them. And that's kind of exciting for me. And I've seen the results, and I've also seen the benefits of the work that we've done. I can see behind us and and see the progress we've made, which I think most people can't see, or many people can't.
0: Yeah. And and in your book, you discuss the multitude of issues that contribute to the problem, you know, from the old adages of gun control and restricting people with mental illness from having access to guns in your recent experience backed with all the data you've reviewed and your research what are the the new commonalities or trends say i mean the the latest in california i mean it, for me it stood out that these guys one of them was 66 years old the other was i think 73 years old
1: is that something that we're going to see I, I don't think so i think it's more that uh, those are those are basically kind of the most common situations that we have kind of workplace violence sort of situations and um and interpersonal problems. Those are the grievances that are most often uh, the you know beginnings of what turns into a mass shooting. And, you know, most mass shootings, both of those were business locations, more than at least half of all of how the FBI calculates these types of shootings as the active shooters, right? Uh, which are primarily mass shootings, but not all. Half of those occur in places of business. So, it's not unusual that they are in places of business. And consistently, although I think we may see a little, actually a lower number um, when the final numbers come out for the next year or so, a little bit of an analysis. uh, But the shooters, the average age of these shooters is 35. So, shooters are older than I think most people think, because we hear about, and there's tremendous news coverage on school shootings. But if you look at even just the numbers from the FBI last year, they don't have the um, numbers, they only have preliminary numbers, which I which I have in my head for 2022. But if you look at 2021 numbers that are already out, there were two school shootings, right? Out of, out of 61 shootings, only two were at schools. Um, So school shootings aren't as common, but they get the most play. Mm -hmm. And then the next most play is the grocery store shootings and and places like that. So they get tremendous coverage. I think there was one in a house of worship. Um, So the the type of coverage in the news that we see and then what everybody thinks about isn't really reflective on where the threat really is. But I think we now, you know, we much have a we have much better idea about where the threat is, and we. Do see which your question was about the age. I think we do see older shooters, and that is a sign of uh, workplace grievance very often. But you can see that in the case of the um, in the case of the shooter um, in Alhambra and um, in Monterey Park, that shooter was uh, that was interpersonal issues. Mm-hmm. He targeted every person he shot. They believe. Yeah. I know the investigations are still underway, but I believe he shot he every person he shot was somebody he knew and, and targeted.
0: Right, right, right. And have you seen anything appear as a possible deterrent? I mean, we, we always talk about, you know, good guy with a gun right. to neutralize the bad guy with a gun. That's that's when it's happening, right? But as far as prevention, I just read an article, UC Davis claims over 60 shootings were averted. I don't know what their methodology was. Right. I, I, I've talked to Mo Kennedy, who is- right. the uh, executive director of the National School Resource Officers Association. He talks about, I mean, they have a regular column that talks about another school shooting averted. Right. I think one year they claimed over 120 yeah. or so averted. And, you know, I, I'd love to see how those are quantifiable. It's tough, you
1: know, to quantify prevention. But Right. I mean, that's is- it, right? Isn't that the, that's the deal with law enforcement uh, people say, well, you know, police should have seen this or the police should have done that, seen that or FBI should have seen this or this trooper should have seen this. And, you know, I spend as much time hearing them say that as me saying police avert things, divert things, stop things every single day. That's their job. Their job is to prevent crime from happening before it happens. So they do all kinds of things that aren't quantified. And I think averted attacks is a, is a great example of that. But I think the need. The demand for averted attack numbers um, is is a uh, kind of a political demand, not political with a capital P in Congress, although they'd like it too. But I think from a politics standpoint, people say, I don't want to, uh, well, and let me preface this by saying, you know, I, I years ago, I was on a village board. I was a village trustee. And you know, all the time somebody comes to you and they say, we want money for this. Police chief came and said, we want money for this. We need training in that. And uh, as a trustee, I would say, you know, tell me why you need it. What are the numbers behind that? And I think that's what, that's what these averted attack numbers are. There are ways that everybody's trying to quantify for somebody else who's asking, um, even though you do this every day in your job, law enforcement, um, we want you to quantify what doesn't happen. Because of your actions. And so, you know, I think it's kind of a mixed blessing to ask for averted attack numbers because we know that there are many more. Every time a school resource officer um, or a security officer in a building uh, talks to somebody and takes them off the ledge in terms of uh, their frustrations, that's a potential averted attack for all kinds of things, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But we don't, we can't quantify those. So I, I know the numbers are out there. And they're good, but I don't think that's the tell of whether or not we're being successful. I think the tell is other things like, um, yes, we had more shootings, 52% more shootings in 2021 than we did in 22, um, according to the FBI numbers. But those same numbers show that we had a a proportionate decrease uh, in casualties. So, uh, so we had a, uh, even though we had an increase in the number of incidents, we had a decrease in the percentage, in the proportion, in the, in the per incident, a decrease, a, a substantial decrease in the number of casualties. That tells me that, you know, we're doing a better job training people to respond, to know that they're the first responders, right? They have to run, hide, fight, but also that law enforcement's getting to the scenes faster. The other thing is that in 2022, we had the lowest incident of law enforcement officer casualties killed or injured in five years in these types of incidents, which tells me law enforcement is better trained. They're focused more on it. They're understanding, um, you know, the, uh, the risk. I mean, of course, you, you know, I carried a gun for 20 years. You, of course, you know, the risk going in, but I didn't carry a gun as a street officer. They're the, they're the ones out there, you know, where the rubber hits the road and they have to be you know, aware all the time when they pull uh, up to a scene that it could be a, a fatal scene if they're not, if they're not alert. I think their uh, law enforcement in general, based on these numbers, are more responsive uh, to that reality. Um, and I think th- those are good signs to me that we are making progress in different ways. So one is citizen training one is law enforcement preparedness, and how do we know that we've made inroads in there? Because the numbers show us less law enforcement casualties, lower casualties per incident on citizens. I think that's a win, even though we're we still, you know, we still are fighting the battle. Yeah, you, you hit so many good points
0: there. Um, I want to get back to run, hide, fight. I know that's a big, um, uh, you know, touchstone with you and citizen involvement you know it's funny i'm going actually to a tourniquet uh class tomorrow
1: yay Yay! good for you good for you right stop the bleed right which was developed at the same time that i was on this white house team working on run hide fight and law enforcement training and citizen training dr richard hunt and others or oh, on this on a on a matching White House team working on stop the bleed, and we would meet all the time and talk about it, uh, and and what they were working on, and the numbers, and how they were trying to explain why it was so important that everybody learn to uh, to, add, to 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 pack a wound and to apply a tourniquet.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, and it's you know I've been retired for for almost a decade now, and to stay involved and see other citizens in a cert team, a a citizens emergency response team, you know, the class filled up really quickly. So that is a great sign. And you also touched on, you know, your role as the village uh, council person. What about legislators? So, you know, what do they say? Hearts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and after, prayers, yeah, thoughts and every prayers. Every shooting, but and right. And then and then the other mantra we hear is gun control, gun control, more gun control. Sure. Um, in New York, California, Illinois, we have gun control, but we still have. I mean, look at the number of
1: shootings in California in January alone. Right. Um and I think the governors in those states, the politicians in those states would say, and I think law enforcement. In, in those states would say, you know, uh, not, not to speak for him, but clearly I am um, right now. Uh, you know, the challenge is that, you know, a good friend of mine is a district commander, area commander in, um, in Chicago and, the, you know, the weapons are coming in from other states. So that is that challenge. I'm, I'm a big advocate for the, you know, you wanna have the laws in your local community that work for your community. But I also recognize that from on a national basis, you know, you're you're swimming upstream if if you're in Chicago and the guns are coming in from all the surrounding states, Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to you can have the you can have the strict uh, gun laws that they have in Illinois or California.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so run, hide, fight. Let's get to that in a minute. But I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor. When seconds matter count on dependable coverage on and off campus. L3Harris offers flexible and affordable portables. Communicate on the move with Wi-Fi voice and data, GPS, and app-based devices that keep you connected. Schedule your demo today. Learn more at L3Harris.com. And we're back, and I'm speaking with Dr. Katherine Schweit, former FBI supervisory agent and author of the book, Stop the Killing, how to End the Mass Shooting Crisis. And we, we touched briefly on run, hide, fight. I know you're a big proponent. Um, have we shifted a little bit to maybe rearranging the words? Are we going to uh, train more in run, fight, hide? Uh, it seems like the priority is, hey, if you are stuck, uh, if you just hide, it, it may be only a matter of time before the shooter gets to you. I've seen training, actually a a friend of mine, another retired San Francisco uh, chief, uh, did some training with a group that he's with now. And he got hit in the head with a fire extinguisher by an overzealous uh, group that was preparing to grab whatever they could to fend off the shooter. What do you think about uh, our strategy at Run, Hide, Fight these days?
1: Well, I, I still believe it's run hide fight in that order. Um, but I think that the hide part is, is I think there's a lot of, uh, a miscues about what hide is and isn't. I think, as you know, uh, law enforcement, we're trained in cover and concealment civilians aren't. And I think it's really the training of cover and concealment. I've talked to victims uh, survivors, um, and victims, um, and others who that idea of I'll just crouch down on the floor, I'll climb under the desk. And when the threat is present, climbing under the desk or crouching on the floor is useless, as, as you and I know. And I think that's part of the run, hide, fight. One of the struggles that I've had uh, through the years is the persistence in training primarily in the hide part. The lockdown part, the lockout part, and that's really a uh, the the vociferous uh, nature of education. Um, the idea that educators don't want to be responsible for children that flee the the school building, um, flee the the you know the 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 parking lot out in front, um, or are running rampant in hallways. And so, therefore, we're only going to focus on this. And besides, we never teach kids to fight in school. I hear stuff like that all the time. So, I think that those are loud, booming voices that interfere with everybody else's ability to hear um, what I think is the important message, which is if you are in a spot where there is shooting going on, understanding that the vast majority of these shootings that are that everybody fears occur in places of business and in open spaces. The vast majority. I think the numbers last year, uh, the 2022 numbers for the FBI, there were half of them were in places of business. And the next number, uh, there were 61 incidents. I think 20, 30 of them were in places of business, something like that. And 19 were in open spaces. The majority of these incidents do not occur in some tiny little location where your first choice should be to hide. The majority of them occur in your first decision should be to escape. And in fact, the FBI did an additional film just uh, last year, the year before, focusing on escape where there's a shooting in a bar and, you know, what, what three people who are together, get separated and, you know, one rides, one hides, one runs, one fights. I've, I've seen that on your website. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just one more, one more way that I'm like, okay, will this, will this spark interest in you? Will that spark interest in you um, to get them interested in it? But the run part, I mean, you can't get killed if your feet are, uh, take you away from the scene. You just can't. And we, we know that in law enforcement, we know distance is your fan is your friend. Distance is your friend. You know, the further away you are from the target, that's one of the those things we learned in the Miami shootout at the FBI. We we cornered in the sh- the, the guys who were shooting at us. Our guys were closing in and closing in. And, and a lot of people got killed and injured in that in that shootout years ago. And it's, it's one of those lessons that law enforcement learned that you, you know, you set your perimeter, you set it far back. You stay as far back as you can because it's harder for them to get to you. Um, and civilians don't don't have that natural uh, kind of instinct based on developed uh, from training. And so we want to train people to stay away. I think it's, when I say we want to train too, I say, you know, if you're law enforcement and you're listening to this, have you ever had this conversation with your spouse or with your partner or with your kids um, or with the people around you at a dinner table to say, you know, your safest position is to not be there. So go, go, move away. I mean, we've had only a handful of, um, in those that same year, there were there were uh, there was a, just a handful of instances where there was citizens engagement, and and we had you know we had one where citizens uh, fired a gun and, and ended a shooting, and we had one where a citizen fired a gun and got killed. So I mean, you know, good guy with a gun isn't a solution. We know that right now. Uh, no matter how many guns we have out there on the street. They're not trained in the same way that we're trained. So the best thing you can do is flee, and that fight thing—the other end of it, which is fight—is the practicality of understanding that, you know, ducking under a plastic school desk um, or under the, in the booth at McDonald's is not going to save you from a from a, a rifle round. It's right. just not.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So sh- so shifting a little bit. Um, Last year, uh, historic 346 police officers were shot in the line of duty. Excuse me, in 21, 63 of whom were killed, according to the National Fraternal Order of Police, which represents more than 346,000 U.S. law enforcement officers. Historic 346 officers shot in the line of duty. Several were carried out using ghost guns. And now, five years ago, when 3D printers hit the market, uh, well, 10 years ago, but five years ago, we started to see ghost guns more and more. We've seen ghost guns used in ambush of officers. Um, mm-hmm. uh, here in California, I'm talking to a district attorney who says that the numbers are doubling and tripling. What have you seen on the ghost gun front? Uh, is it really something that's emerging or is it just, you know, a nothing burger?
1: No, I think it's emerging. And I think that's one. it's definitely emerging. You know, I was, I'm working on a new um, uh, kind of a paperback style book about how to talk about guns and t- with anybody, right? Cause people just freeze up and they jump to a political side. And I was doing some research on ghost guns. So it's funny, you should ask me that. Um, and one of the things that I found striking was ATF's numbers that, You know, a couple of years ago, uh, they had uh, 1,700, they responded to 1,700 um, uh, investigative inquiries regarding those guns uh, just a few years ago. Um, The year, uh, two years later, it was um, 20,000 almost responses, 1,700 to 20,000. And then the very next year, which was in 19 and 2021, 45,000. Uh, so, just in that, I mean, I'm no gun expert in terms of uh, ghost guns and ATF world. Uh, they're they're in their own world and and have that specialty. But it's very clear. I remember hearing about it. We were working on it, and when in the FBI, I was talking to uh, early on uh, to to how they were responding um, to these kinds of calls in Maryland and Virginia, um, and it was a concern at the time because they were. Um, Often um, put together in a faulty way, and you know, one one use and toss kind of situation. That's a great example of something that you know. This you know, we don't know how legislation might make a difference, but we do know that the legislation signed um, by President Biden last year specifically deals with registration of those those types of guns. And if that occurs, or if there's some accounting for them. Maybe we nip it in the bud, so to speak. I mean, you can't trace 20 million, you know, automatic or semi-automatic rifles that are out there in the same way that you could start tracing the output of these types of guns that we know are used almost primarily for criminal activity.
0: Yeah, right. And when we talk about ghost guns, we talk about these polymer guns, uh, parts made on 3D printers. Uh, There's no traceable uh, numbers, no serial numbers. It happens to be a a firearm of choice by uh, gang members who, like you say, use and toss uh, disposable weapons, if you
1: will. And uh, yeah, it seems like we've seen more and more of them. And that use and toss thing is, uh, again, I think, you know, it's always helpful to understand that, even though I, or for me to understand and appreciate that, even though there were, you know, say the year before, 61 of these active shooters, or as you indicated, there are many different accountings of what a mass shooting is, since we don't really have a definition for it, but we're getting closer. But all of those are under a number of, under a number of something that's less than Mm -hmm. whatever hundred right and in no matter how you kind of count them the landscape of violence firearms violence itself uh, what 45,000 people injured uh, 45,000 people killed with a firearm you know dead from a firearm last year more just more than half of those suicides you know and then and then of that 20,000 that's homicides you know how many of those are you know, the, understanding the number of what, what type of violence, um, I, which I think is good. We're seeing a lot more research in violence. I'll come on in J- July and we'll talk about the uh, firearms injury prevention research, the national effort that we've never had before that started this year. It's, it's privately funded, uh, publicly funded, and uh, it's incredible the type of research that's going on that's going to help us to pull out where this firearms injury is and will really speak to the benefits of you know, maybe legislation will help here because we see all this research. Maybe it won't help because this research says it won't help. So it'll, it'll be good. But I think ghost guns is just one of those challenges that they were trying to address in the legislation that was passed. I think, you know, we don't know, though, whether, whether it's going to be successful. And in some ways, I kind of feel like this, just like red flag laws uh, and other things is let's try some of these pieces to get you know some guns out of some hands of some people that we know are guns that are used to kill cops, and, uh, and that you know is so frustrating. I I live here in the Washington D.C. region, and I go down every year when they etch those names on the National Law Enforcement Memorial, and um, that's tough. It's tough to see every name on that wall go up again and again and again. I've been doing that for 15 years. I've been down there every every year when they etch those names on the walls. It kills me.
0: Yeah, yeah, been there. And know several people on that wall, unfortunately. Yeah, me too. Um, in respect to your time, thanks so much for coming on board. Uh, I can't wait to see the paperback about how to explain to anybody about the gun issues, because I get asked a lot uh, by friends and and relatives about, you know, what is the answer? What's the answer? Everybody wants that. You the know, answer. That silver bullet, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you know, in explaining it, I I always bring up your name and I oh, tell thank people, you. hey, get her book. There is no silver bullet. There is no yeah. single answer. Um, you know, you just mentioned red flag laws. And, you know, when it comes to the Second Amendment
1: and the Fourth Amendment, wow polarizing both my favorite it's my favorite subject though you know I teach a class at DePaul University College of Law on the Second Amendment it's so fun to talk about the Second Amendment and the Fourth Amendment together if you talk about them together and you're a nerdy lawyer it's a really great fun conversation sure you you know what let me tell you one other thing you know Jim I know I've got a book out there and I'm not chill in the book. In fact, I'm cutting it into a paperback this spring so that I can sell it cheaper. But, um, the, I do a podcast called stop the killing and podcasts are free. So, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to talk or listen to us, talk more about it. And my co-host is from London. So she's a hoot. Yeah,
0: no, I've, I've heard the, the, uh, episodes are great. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we talk about that in my police and public policy class about the Second Amendment, and the Fourth Amendment. When you mention red flag laws, I think UC Davis uh, goes directly to um, gun violence. Um, what do they call them? Gun violence restraining orders, GVROs right. or red mm-hmm. flag laws. Yeah, And they talk about those successes. I mean, I've talked to even cops who say, nope, don't wanna enforce them, they're a violation of the Fourth Amendment, the Second Amendment. I counter with read the Fourth Amendment, right? You've gotta do your diligence by oath or affirmation before a judge with a petition, the judge grants it, it gives the opportunity to the gun owner to oppose it, to give you know their version of rationality and they get the guns back in most cases.
1: Oh, yeah. And they're time limited. You know, red flag laws are usually for two weeks or a month or no more than six months. And, you know, what you said about you go before the judge, I think that's really uh, I think that people are very I th- understand that people are very accepting of the idea that law enforcement can get a search warrant. But, you know, a search warrant is obtained independently signed by a judge and the other side doesn't have a say. In you know, the the person whose house is going to be searched, they can't come in and say, no, I don't want you to search my house. Law enforcement just goes and gets the search warrant. And if the judge thinks that there's probable cause to believe there's evidence of a crime there, they can get the search warrant or, you know, and if there's this reasonable belief that um, that a crime may have occurred and we don't have that with red flag laws, the standard is even higher because the other person has a chance to come in and say the the person who it's going to affect has a chance ahead of time to say prohibitively no this is why everything's okay and I don't want you to so it really actually is a high it actually really actually is a it really actually is a higher burden that has to be met
0: yeah absolutely hey thanks so much um we have on our show notes we have your uh, website listed we'll list your Podcast as well. Anything else? Where are you going to be? Where can we see you this
1: year? Oh my goodness! Uh, I'm going to London in June to CrimeCon to talk about these things, uh, civilian, What civilians can do to end this kind of crime. And uh, I am speaking at uh, I, a couple of other University of Rhode Island. This, I mean, and then I'm kind of trying to. I'm trying to actually do a little consulting work to pay some of my bills. Nice. Nice. And I'm writing, um, I'm writing right now. What I'm doing is writing, writing, writing. You're disturbing me, Jim. I'm writing. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> we'll get to it. Okay. So, so great to have you back on the show. And I an booked you for
0: July. Cause you said it, you said you'd come <laughs> on in July. So okay.
1: Right. Well, it's an honor. I appreciate it. You're, 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 you're doing a yeoman's duty here. It's an important mission to, to share. I think so important now, especially you talk about the loss of life that we saw last year uh, with law enforcement, but the misunderstandings and the and the quick the quick judgment about law enforcement, no matter what it involves, I think the more we can do to continue to support each other, inform the public, uh, people don't get into law enforcement you know uh, because it, it's it's skyrocketing pay. We get into it because it's dedication. so um, you know we want to keep people understanding that too.
0: Yeah. Hey, thanks for what you do appreciate your time. Hey, to our listeners, hope you enjoyed today's uh, podcast and take a look at our show notes to find out more about Dr. Catherine Schweit and her book and her podcast and go to her, her website. And you'll see that video. We talked about the run, hide, uh, fight video, the three individuals in a bar, uh, i'll give you the ending they all survive and they all meet up at the end but uh, only if they follow the rules so uh stay safe out there thanks for watching thanks for listening hope uh, to talk to you again real soon stay safe i'm jim dudley